0: Welcome to Integrative Lawyers of the World. It's time for a new way of practicing law, a way that honors our interconnectedness, that values what is really important. Our core values, generosity, integrity, authenticity. If you agree you are not alone, there is a global Integrative Law movement that is transformational, impactful, fun. It's time to grow because the world needs us. So we are interviewing lawyers from around the world who share their experiences as an integrative lawyer. One by one and together, we can and we are making a positive impact. I'm your host, Carrie Raleigh, and our guest this episode is Nitya Bansal from India. In our conversation, Nitya shares with us how she felt disheartened with her legal practice and her search for a more meaningful way to practice. This led her to discover integrative law and to earn her master's in international peace studies. She is now a mediator. She also shares how mindfulness and trust play a key role in her career, including career changes and her life. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Nitya and all our conversations with the lawyers from around the world, which can be found at www.integrativelaw.com. So this episode of Integrative Lawyers of the World, we are having a conversation with Nitya Bonson from India. Nitya, how are you? I'm good, Kerry. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for meeting with us today. Um, I, I'd like to start just by getting your idea of what does it mean to be an integrative lawyer or integrative law? Wow. So I think it's a very difficult thing to try to explain
1: integrative law but I think it's uh, more than so it's it's like a perspective to law and uh, you know when we hear lawyers when we hear the word lawyer or an advocate people generally relate them to people who are going to have something to do with fighting or you know they're going to have something to do with assertiveness and all which is good but basically it, it's basically mostly the legal profession is related to something that is Uh, That separates people or divides people. So I think integrative law, according to me, is a way of lawyering, which is not separating people. Rather, it's actually bringing them together. It's integrating them into a whole. So it's, um, you know, like the word says. So it's mostly a holistic approach to law, law where we don't just talk about what's right and wrong legally but there's you know other aspects that you talk about there's the healing aspect there's the spiritual aspect there's uh, yeah there's basically a lot of different aspects that get up uh, which otherwise would not have gotten down.
0: so instead of having a uh, mental or um, an attitude of we versus them zero sum when one side has to win the other side has to lose you kind of look at it from a more holistic approach and See how it's not we versus them, but we're 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 interconnected in this. So how can we resolve this in a holistic way that um, moves everyone forward?
1: Yes, and having said that, so generally the the traditional way of practicing law, or you know the way in which lawyers work, is mostly adversarial, which means you know there's always either one party winning and the other party losing. So there's always a win lose scenario. But anything that brings about a win-win between parties or a win-win like internal and external win between the parties. So if if there's a party who's not only is it uh, their you know, external concerns being addressed, but also their internal, uh, you know, thought processes, wounds or whatever, when they also get
0: uh, addressed, I think that's all, that's integrative law. I just find it interesting. So as part of this, we're talking with lawyers from, all over the world, hence the name, Integrative Lawyers of the World. And so many, like in the different cultures around the world, practicing law traditionally involves the adversarial system. And we're dealing with lawyers in all the different countries deal with a lot of the same issues um, in the same way that they practice. Do we know of any culture or country that the legal system is not based on the adversarial system? i'm just wondering how did lawyers in the different countries all get to the same place
1: i don't know how we got to the place where we are but i think you haven't raised the question of a culture where it's not adversarial i do think in african in africa there are some um, tribes or some societies where in I, I don't know so i could be wrong or these could be totally you know this could be uh, maybe uh, maybe just tribal people or but in those in those groups when somebody does something wrong they do not punish them they keep that person in the center of a circle and everyone basically appreciates that person and reminds him of his goodness. So honestly this was yeah I had read about it a long time ago but I think uh, if you if you will allow me, I will find out which practice and where it is and where I had read it, and I can share that with you. But basically, yeah, you know, traditionally, or or at least in you know the the uh, in the olden societies, I think there were many other ways in which we used to probably deal with conflicts and crimes. But I think now
0: we've all become very adversarial, very punitive, and what an interesting concept to put the person who did something wrong in the center and then people going around and reminding the person of their goodness instead of wrong. That's, that's beautiful. Um, Yeah. Thank you. Do that. If you do find it, send it to me and I will include it in like an update or a blog with this uh, podcast. Um, And then If anyone is listening to this, knows anyone in those cultures or communities, please contact us at Integrative Lawyers of the World. We would love to speak with them. So um, let's go with your your experience. Can you share with us a little bit about your background and experience in the legal profession and your progress toward being an integrative lawyer?
1: So um, I qualified as a lawyer in 2009. It's, It's been a little more than 10 years. And I think my main motivation to go into law was, you know, like I was a very idealist person. I wanted to bring justice to the world. <laughs> but as you get into the law college, also you realize that you know that that's a very uh, utopian concept. And there's, there's, you know, you realize so many things. You become more, much more realistic, even in the profession. When I started practicing, so I realized. I was working in the fields that I enjoyed working, but I wasn't getting the satisfaction that I needed because it's also technical, it's also procedural. And in India, like I'm, I'm from India, so here we have lots of delays and you know procrastination of cases, et cetera. So it was kind of frustrating. And I think I in 2014 or 15, I pretty much decided to give up practice of law. Because I I couldn't sometimes agree. Like you know, I interned, I I was uh, working as a judicial clerk with a judge, and I remember having argued with him regarding a death sentence that he awarded on the grounds that like I was I felt empathetic to the 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 convict the the person who was basically whose sentence was in question, and I, I don't know like initially I. I mean, in generally, I would have been somebody that okay, he has done something wrong, and it was actually a rape case, and I was like, you know, he deserves punishment. And generally, that's my stand. But when I had seen through his file, I had seen through the background of the victim and the child. I don't know. I I was like, don't give him death sentence, you know, give him life imprisonment. But you know, it's like he's a young person. He was, but yeah, basically, I felt that I was probably too. I, I was either empathizing with people, or I was too sensitive, and I I didn't think that you know I agreed with a lot of things in the punitive and purely adversarial uh, judicial system. So I think from then on
0: started, yeah. I ask a question about that first. Was the person did the judge end up sen- sentencing him to life or to death? I believe yes. So I don't
1: remember. This was long time back. This was two thousand ten. But I guess he had, and he gave a death sentence, and that night I couldn't sleep.
0: <laughs> I have all, I've only practiced civil law, and I remember, even mm-hmm. in my most stressful of days of civil law, another attorney in my office, I think she was a partner while I was an associate, we'd get so stressed out, and we'd look at each other and like, we're not doing criminal law. People's lives are not in mm-hmm. our hands. We have it easy, you know, compared to our brothers and sisters in criminal law system so um, i can only empathize or try to empathize as to what that must have felt like i
1: totally think in criminal law there's a lot of burnout and you know there's a lot of emotional emotional angle involved because it's very only people who can actually you know detach themselves from the parties and from the case they can practice very well but ethically or morally they may not You know, they may not actually do a lot of justice to the case, in my opinion. So,
0: Yeah, the detachment is necessary for them to keep going as a human being. But then the detachment also takes away from being fully um, seeking justice in the case. So it's a two headed coin uh, or Mm -hmm. two sided coin for the lawyer, for the individual lawyer. One other question. We haven't talked about this. What is it like being a woman lawyer in India? Yeah. Is there any gender bias or prejudice that you see or that you have faced there? Okay, that's a
1: great, that's a very good question. So I am from a capital, I'm from the capital of India, Delhi, NCR region. So Delhi is a metropolitan city. So, you know, relatively, I I believe there's much less in comparison with other ports. But definitely there's a taboo, there's a stigma attached to a lady being a lawyer. Because, you know, like, uh, I don't know if you're aware, but in India, we have a concept of marriages and arranged marriages and stuff. So people reject profiles of girls uh, based on the fact that she's a lawyer. So, you know, so you, you, you become like, okay, she might be a very stubborn and somebody who will get into arguments very easily so you better not get her get better not get married to her. so yeah but you know as as, as I said that I come from Delhi and it's a metropolitan city so here things are very uh, relaxed and very advanced and I didn't face that kind of situation as much but I know you know my colleagues from my college, my friends from my law school, so, I, I know this used to, like, you know, people used to question, why you're a girl? Why are you doing law? So, yeah, um, sometimes I've faced that, but I think I've still been fortunate uh, that not personally. People in, you know, rural areas definitely would have been. I think in rural areas or lesser developed cities in India, I doubt uh, females would take the courage to go in for law.
0: So, after you decided or came to the decision to leave the judicial clerk position, um, what is it that you went on to do? Oh,
1: so I think uh, leaving the judicial club position was actually a mandate because uh, I think at that time and probably even now in India we it, there's a very limited period for which somebody can be a judicial clerk, and they must then they must move to the bar. So I also practiced after that. I moved to the bar and I practiced a bit. You say move to the bar. What do you mean by that? So I mean you you get enrolled as a lawyer which I think even to be a judicial uh, clerk I had to be but I think so I what I meant was you know I was I was as a judicial clerk I was sitting on the side of the bench like I was sitting on the judicial side but when then after that I had to go to the side of the advocates so I had to also practice I went and then I practiced I really liked law but I I think yeah there were things that did dishearten me and discourage me and I think by 2014-15, I started looking up, you know, what what else can I do? Like, I've already finished my lawyer, LLB, and I've already done an LLM as well by then. So, I think in 2015, and this is where um, Kim came into being, so basically I got connected to Kim and uh, she introduced me to these different concepts. And then I kind of read about those concepts. I even came helped me, but also I basically, we, I, I got myself trained in uh, mediation, restorative justice and uh, stuff. And then, yeah, I became a mediator for a bit. So I think until 2018, I was doing mediations, 2018, 2019, yeah, until 2019, I was doing mediations. I was uh, doing trainings, law training, as well as trainings on, you know, holistic things in law, like use of forgiveness in law, a little bit of uh, conflict resolution education for children. So I was basically experimenting until then. And I'm still
0: experimenting. I like to experiment. So what type of trainings would you give? Like, who would you give the trainings to? Yeah. So during that time, um,
1: I had uh, organized Trainings on forgiveness uh, in a prison, in a prison setup. Then um, I think there were a couple of trainings organized with school children. Uh, there were trainings. Uh, so those were some of them were just pilot trainings. Uh, pilot trainings on, you know, trainings on mindfulness or uh, things for people working in NGO sector. And yeah, I think pretty much, yeah, that that kind of training,
0: yeah. So the trainings in the prisons, who part did, was it uh, prisoners who participated in those trainings or the staff for the prisoners or a combination? Uh, this
1: was, yeah, so this was again, um, so it's, it's basically, you know, it was our version of attempting restorative, uh, ju- attempting to train people in restorative justice. Okay. So, in restorative justice, there's a project called Sycamore. There used to be, I this is again a few years back that I know of. So, in, in maybe in UK or somewhere. And they used to basically have something to do with where, where they would, you know, make the prisoners enact and kind of, you know, feel. So, it's of course, it's done with prisoners, who convicts who have, you know, reached a level of remorse or who are genuinely remorseful. then you give them the opportunity to kind of like a role play and uh, allowing them an opportunity to apologize to, you know, the victim or whosoever they may have done the wrong to. So it was our attempt was to do that, but we weren't allowed uh, one-on-one conversations with the prisoners. So we basically uh, allowed, we did something, some activities more like, you know, spirituality or healing related activities to do with forgiveness uh in like a group. So basically, it was not ideally how we would have liked it because we would have liked it in circles, but that wasn't how it, it was more like, you know, we addressing all of them together.
0: So yeah, but yeah, it was good because we got good feedback. That is good feedback. I mean, that does sound like a good program. And what about you said you taught uh, conflict resolution in schools?
2: Yeah, so. Um, uh, so this was, you know, I was anyways, uh, volunteering, teaching English with some of the schools at that time. So I had just, you know, um, uh, like just, yeah, very basic skills of, you know, communication and, uh, knowing your rights and knowing that every right comes with a duty. So it was like a very generic
0: thing and for very
2: young kids, but yeah, that was there as well.
0: I like knowing every right comes with the duty. I think that gets forgotten a lot. What training did so what training did you get to give these trainings? I know you said you went to law school and you got your LLM and then mediation training. Was there any other trainings that you got that helped you develop these trainings and workshops and mindfulness practice?
1: So you know I've been a very curious person and um, I think since 2012 I also became very spiritually inclined so I got into healings I had taken trainings in um, something called chronic healing which is um, I'm I'm not sure if you know about it but it works on the energy body and the different signs to it Uh, and obviously there are people who do not consider it a science at all. Is it Uh,
0: is it in line with Ayurveda Or Reiki?
1: Reiki, yes. Okay.
0: So, yeah, so I trained, I was trained in
1: that. Other than that, I, of course, I trained as a mediator. I took two trainings in restorative justice and basically restorative circle keeping and restorative justice. And uh, it so happened that the group that I was working with in those trainings were majorly people who were from uh, non-profits, so you know you you get to understand and so that train yeah so there was those trainings i yeah pretty much that okay good and then oh sorry go ahead and i would read and you know observe a lot so from there
0: that's nice i'm glad that you shared with us because a lot of times it's nice i find it helpful to find out okay so someone was here Position A, and they had a feeling they wanted to go someplace else to position B. So, what is it that they did to get there? Because um, sometimes it helps gives others ideas. Oh, okay, this is what I can do, and maybe it is by starting one training or one workshop. You go there and you learn something, and that may open up other doors or other or create other ideas for you to follow. You recently also got a master's in peace and conflict resolution is that right or peace studies yeah
1: they, they call it international peace studies it's supposed to be very similar to conflict resolution uh training but uh yeah i, I like the name peace studies international yeah. peace and uh yeah i think that that was also an experience so having started mediations you know i i think i pretty much really liked mediation so so my legal career like other than all the healing and the various experimentation stuff which i would have anyways done even if you know like irrespective of my search for something more meaningful in the profession so yeah so um when i became a mediator i think i really liked uh, mediating and i think i wanted to this to do this international peace studies to basically you know get a hang on how conflict resolution or mediations and you know this kind of stuff work in international conflicts. So yeah, it was a great experience. Uh, It was different from what I was doing earlier. Uh, So it was nice, yeah.
0: Okay. And are you, so right now, are you able to earn a living by practicing the way that you would like to practice?
1: That's a great question. And I would say, you know, in my life journey, I have seen that when you really are you know when you're really looking for something and your intention is uh, you know to to you know do good for others and it's not just your own benefit, so you are taken care of. So with me that has been the case. Uh, I have had very fluctuate. I've changed jobs many a times, but I've had some or the other job. Uh, right now, I think I think since 2018, I would say. I felt I was uh, relatively secure and that's when I felt I could, you know, go and uh, take up another master's program and invest a little in my, uh, again, education. Uh, so, yeah, So, but I think I, I primarily believe in that if you do something for a bigger cause, then, you know, and you're aligned with the
0: universe, then yeah, your, your, your
1: needs are taken care of. Okay. Sorry.
0: Noise yeah. that positive? Yeah, I don't think so. We might just pause a second. Okay, it stopped. It, it's fine. It's fine. Um, I mean, I can hear it, but I can hear you talking over it, so it's okay. As it gets louder, maybe I'll have you. I'll go like this for you to speak up louder so that you are okay. over it. But I think I, 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 I was able to focus on you. Um, so hopefully, if I was able to do it, then the audience should be able to do it too. All right. So. Where are you today in terms of your current work or your current um, projects or goals or vision for your future and as being an integrative lawyer? Oh,
1: you know, I've, I've never really had a very um, very specific goal in life. I, I feel I, I like to go with the flow and, uh, and generally it has worked with me. I just feel inspired to do something and I do that. A lot of the times uh, people around me say it's not a very practical decision. And I still check with my own heart. And if I still feel like doing it, I just do that.
0: (laughs) I think, and that's part of the key when, when I hear you talking, when you say you feel inspired to do something, you go with it. And I think I was just about to ask so many, um, sometimes we could keep ourselves so busy that we one, Maybe let me reword this differently. When I was a phase of life where I kept myself so busy with, you know, the day-to-day and the work demands, I felt less, the inspirations would come less or I wouldn't give life to them. I would, they would come, I would be inspired, but I wouldn't uh, connect with it because I had to go to the next deadline. I had to do this. And then that left me feeling eventually burnt out. I think it's very strong to be connected to yourself and to know yourself so that you can feel the inspiration when it comes to you. And then be able to check in with your heart and say, yes, I'm going to go forward with this. I think that takes authenticity and strength. And so, which then paves the way for the other thing for you to say how things unfold for you. I think when you have that authenticity and that strength and you follow your heart, things unfold for you and you're taken care of.
1: And yeah, I totally agree because in my journey, like I said, When I was practicing in courts uh, until 2014 or 15, yeah, I was getting burnt out. And that's when I decided to quit the court. uh, And then I got into uh, teaching law. So I was, continued with a job, but I I taught law. But at the same time, I was already exploring other things. Like I was taking all these trainings for healing and other things. But I think that allowed me the ability to spend uh, more time with myself and Try to I, I gave myself enough time, to, you know, understand what is it that I want. I kept doing things, but with the perspective that you know, it's it's not that this is what I'm gonna do all my life. But I'm I'm doing things so that I can decide I can decide whether that thing is good for me or whether you know that's something that I can I really want to do forever. And if it's not, then it, at least you know I get the clarity that this is not the thing for me. So yeah, I, I so from there Um, yeah so basically yeah and I think there's nothing wrong in you know having done different things in life because only when you experiment and do different things in life only then you really know you know what you are actually very good at doing what are your limitations and yeah and all of the time I wouldn't say any small project has gone waste so you know Mm -hmm. something worked at that time and I think that was really needed for that would have benefited the people for whom that project or that thing was delivered and maybe I didn't continue in that but everything that I've done yeah I think it has uh, added value either to me or to somebody else.
0: Does your mindful practice come into play with I'm going to go through this experience or you know and then Observe how, um, do I like it? Do I not like it? If I like it, I'll go this way. And so is that, um, is, it, is your mindful practice folded in with that? Um, so
1: while I was going through that journey, I wouldn't say, you know, at that time, obviously I wanted to stick to one particular thing. So mm-hmm. it's not prepared for that. Yeah. But it so happened uh, that, you know, like something started I learned what, I would say I'm a believer in destiny sometimes. So, you know, I learned whatever I that experience, I guess. And I learned uh, whatever probably I had to, um, you know, or, or probably I did whatever I was meant to do in that experience. So, and then, yeah, when I got the next inspiration, I did the next inspiration. So, yeah, but, but yeah, I mean, today i i can say i mean i think last 2 years have been really mostly um i don't know how to how to put it in words but basically you know those have been years defining years for me today after all these years of trying different things i feel and i i'm, I'm pretty confident of i of knowing what is it that i want to do in life and uh, and i can very confidently say that every experience of, you know, every different experience has come in handy for my life so far in getting me where I am today in the sense of the clarity of, you know, that what I want to do and uh, what I feel is probably even like, you know, my life's calling me.
0: That is some very good advice. I felt too, like you have to have a clear vision of what you want to do and then stick with it. And then that puts so much pressure to make that right decision. And for me, once I had it, like I, once I chose it, I was afraid to veer off course, even though I had a feeling I wasn't on the right course for myself. So the advice, go ahead and experience things. And with each experience, even if you find out what your strengths are, what you like, what you don't like, even if it's a short-term experience, it helps you get that clarity to where you are to be or where you, where you want to be, where you are to be, and where it all comes lined up together. That is, I wish I had heard that when I was like 19. Two more things I want to ask about. One, you had mentioned you gave mindfulness trainings. Is there anything that you can share with people today about mindfulness and either how you practice it or the trainings that you give? What does it mean to be, what does it mean to be mindful and how do you practice it?
2: You know, my mindfulness trainings, like I'm not really qualified to deliver mindfulness trainings. So they were more like me teaching from my own experience in in informal groups. Um, But yeah, I think mindfulness is something that allows you to live in acceptance of the moment and in surrender of every moment and I think once uh, you live in that state then you are closer to your guidance, to to the inspiration. Basically my mindfulness works at a very different level. It it basically I think makes space for things that better things to come in your life which you yourself may not be capable of imagining or dreaming. so, yeah, and there's different ways of practicing mindfulness. So, um,
1: I, I would basically, for me, meditating is mindfulness. But, yeah, of course, there's also walking mindfulness. There's, you, you can practice mindfulness while you're working. But, yeah, for me, it was mainly, you know, I've, I've tried different types of meditations. And, yeah, I still do meditations. Uh, basically, I don't have a fixed type that I follow. I tra- try or do different things based on what I feel the need to do, so.
0: Do you meditate on a daily basis or a regular basis? Sometimes I do, but I'm not very,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not very, yeah,
0: disciplined in that respect. I do try
1: to, so if I'm not meditating, I do try to spend just those introspective moments with myself. And so, yes, that I do, and that that's actually part of my, um, daily routine and I think it's not even part of my routine by choice but it's also a need for a person like me like I need uh, those intervals I I cannot like when I was very busy in courts Mm. I I, I was getting burned out so I decided and I I, even today I do not take anything uh, you know I work at my own pace I don't take things that make me feel overburdened So even
0: when I'm working, whatever I'm doing, I give myself space. And and you don't feel overburdened when you're doing it. So then you can be, you can give yourself more fully to it. There are some times like for now where I I can sense it now when when I start taking on a little too much. I do feel a little bit overburdened, but I'm more aware of it. And so, and then once I kind of give like, call it a name, it helps me to not be so stressed because I guess in law firm days I was overburdened and then the overburdened made me feel stressed. Now there may be phases where I still may feel overburdened because perhaps I chose to take on a little more like With me, I'll take on a project thinking, oh, it's going to take me this long to do. So then I'll take on another project. But then the first project takes me longer. And so then I got to do the second project or the third project. And so it's all stuff that I enjoy. But I feel I'll get a feeling overburdened that I need to do them all right now. But once I start feeling that, I, I acknowledge it. And then the extra side stress of kind of goes down a little bit. I don't know. That's hard to explain. And I just... Try to focus on enjoying the projects a little bit more, like focus on when I call out the overburdenness, then I'm able to fully put myself in the project and, oh, I took, the, and remember why I took on this project. Oh, I took it on because I enjoy doing, you know, this part or this aspect of it.
2: Don't you agree
1: that that is mindfulness? Because the moment mm. you become mindful, what and why you're feeling the way you're feeling, you know, it that feeling yes. doesn't affect it.
0: And it helps. And I do like, as I, I'm not, there are still times where it takes me to get there. As I was joking around with my sister, sometimes I have a delayed mindfulness, <laughs> or meaning I'll have a situation that comes up, and then I could feel like I'm reacting, like in, in the moment, in the situation, I'm reacting to things because I'm more reacting. And then what used to be a week then became you know, a day, and now it's like 15 minutes, I'm able to observe why I was reacting the way what my triggers were. So the time period for me to recognize the triggers is getting shorter and shorter. It's still not 100% in the moment. Um, but so I would say all the time my sister I have delayed mindfulness. But I think I might reset that because I don't want it to always be delayed. Um, I don't know how to reset that right now. A growing mindfulness. Maybe I'll word it as a growing mindfulness. I'm getting better at it.
2: Yeah, but also, you
0: know, I kind of accept.
1: For me also, I've always had
0: cycles. So there
1: are days and, you know, long, you know, there are days when I feel that, you know, I'm I'm very good, detached and mindful. And, you know, it takes sure. a lot more than a minute or two to kind of detach. But then there are those, uh, those days when I tend to hold on to any small trigger that comes in life. But then there's, again, so, you know, there's growing, and then there's, again, you tend to fall back in that matter. So, yeah, I think that, that's going to happen. That's part mm-hmm. of
0: life. So. And then being okay with that, not judging yourself for being in one cycle or the other in terms of reacting and triggers. Yeah, that is nice. Okay, one last thing I wanted to talk about is... You have a project or a dream of creating an online dispute resolution or conflict resolution platform. Can you talk about that a little bit? And in that, I had used the words conflict and dispute resolution kind of interchangeably. But I think there's a difference between them as You and I had talked before our interview, so I'd like you to share your thoughts on that as well.
1: So, yeah, so my profile, uh, like I shared, you know, I've done trainings in mediation and then I went for this uh, conflict
0: resolution course.
1: So my profile so far has mostly been around, you know, conflict resolution and dispute resolution. And it's interesting. um, So, you know, a lot of the times we use the terms interchangeably and which works Because they are, they do mean the same things. But, you know, when you, uh, when I got deeper into this course that I did, I realized that, you know, a conflict is way, can be way bigger than a dispute. And there's, so there's a difference between the two. Uh, And of course, that's why the resolution processes for both of these also may differ. Uh, So as lawyers, I think what we all focus on is dispute resolution. Because mostly those disputes, uh, and I think it's, it's again the adversarial way, or it's again, um, so basically as lawyers, we, we only talk about our legal rights. So, you know, who, who has a right to something or who is legally correct in a situation or who's legally wrong in a situation. But when we talk of conflict, conflict could be beyond what's legally right and wrong. So like to give you an example, say you and me both. uh, So we are probably neighbors or we live in the same house and uh, we claim that, you know, that this house belongs to me or and you claim that this house belongs to you. You have your reasons. I have my reasons. You have your evidentiary proof. I have my evidentiary proof. But that decision or that dispute is a dispute because it's a a decision that will be, uh, you know, sided based on law but then there's the other thing the other thing is where it's just because of our values there's no there's no legality involved there's no legal issue involved but say both of us we are we live together or you know we are neighbors but we really fight a lot and um, we fight a lot because maybe I being an Indian have a bias against say you being an American or you know, it could be something else. Okay. So those kinds of conflicts you can't resolve through the court. So that kind of conflicts, the processes that you apply are, uh, you know, are conflict resolution. Um, I think, um, yeah, so dispute resolution and conflict resolution, they do involve same processes, except uh, sometimes in conflict resolution, you take to practices that are beyond just legal things. So for instance, um, I think there's these national dialogues, truth and reconciliation commissions where, you know, there's been conflicts, there's been wars, uh, and you can't really decide who was wrong because like, you know, who started the situation or who was, so in that case, I think um, resolving that conflict cannot, uh, be done only through a, from a legal perspective. So you have to, uh, you know, take approaches that are beyond legal. And I think that's, uh, so that's conflict resolution. So, what are
0: some yeah. of the, pro- the approaches that are beyond legal? Some of the actual practices or tools that are beyond the legal tools.
1: So yeah, i may i may use the term beyond legal, even though I think more and more these days these practices are getting recognized as part of legal or transitional justice or you know other other forms of justice. So but yeah, like things like um, truth and reconciliation commissions, where you know there's a there's a public apology or you know their commission set up to deliver public apologies for
0: mass wrongs that get committed then in conflict why do you think it's um can i ask why do you think it's important to have that public apology so you know
1: i mean in a situation like uh
0: a war or a conflict
1: there's obviously there's been a lot of harm trauma mm. people have made, but people have died on both sides right yes So it's not you cannot just decide so if, if there was a legal way of looking at that the legal way would be that if Countries A and B or, you know, ethnic communities A and B have a fight. So who was right and who was wrong in bringing up the fight? So a legal way of resolving the dispute might, a purely legal way, when I say legal, I mean purely legal way would have been that was was the community A right in uh, beginning the dispute? Or, you know, was the community B right defending it or not? But ultimately, that's not what matters. In a, in a dispute where everybody, both parties, have equally lost, what needs resolution is not the fact whether A or B was right. What needs resolution is that, you know, a lot of damage has been done because we each claimed yeah. to be right. And that basically we all need to mourn and heal it together because it's it's not a matter of who was right. It's a matter of that, yes, damage has been done and we have to move. We need to heal
0: from it. For someone who says, oh, a public apology, is not necessary? We just, we have already moved forward and we want to move forward. What would you say the effect or the importance of a, is there, is there an effect or an importance of a public apology? That's, um,
1: so it's a very good question because apology, when we say apology, if it's just a, you know, statement for a matter of, you know, foreign policy that, you know, you need to... Uh, probably, you know, just appear. Uh, you know, you need to basically, yeah, for for international relations, or there's pressure from the international community, and you need to appear to the world that you're doing something about it, and that's why you give a public apology. I think that that makes no sense.
0: Yes, appearance only. Yeah. So, if there's a
1: case where people genuinely acknowledge that okay, something wrong has, if if they dispute that the wrong has been done, or they dispute that you know that wrong was actually not because of race or whatever then I think I mean they don't, I don't see the need for a public apology there but what matters is not making an apology what matters is feeling an apology if you know feeling that you uh, and you know having that feeling uh, and having the intention to make good that feeling uh, that harm so yeah public apology means nothing and if if it's not coming from a deeper intention so yeah so i in in america's case um it may work but yeah it may not work if it's not if people you know who at one point they deny who dispute the fact that there's still any kind of racism and then just to you know appease appease the world or the international relations or you know uh, yeah then they say then I think that that's not even uh, because that's not even required I mean I'm no, nobody to judge whether you know whose position position is right mm. there's every probability that there's actually not the the discrimination is not purely racial and there's other things so I'm, I'm nobody to judge that but yeah basically a, a apology should come only when
0: the there's an agreement and there's a general acknowledgement that the harm has been uh, when it gets to that point, why is the acknowledgement that there has been a wrong? Why is that important? I think, you
1: know, this is also very interesting. This this all relates even at the micro level, this relates with criminal law. And at the macro level, this relates with international criminal law, which is basically wars and conflicts. Okay. From From a legal perspective, if somebody does some harm to me,
2: okay, if
1: somebody does some crime against me either in a personal crime like like you know in a uh, individual based crime or as part of a war or an ethnic conflict or something my for for my concern okay let's say when the legal you know when when people from the judicial fraternity come in their focus is on punishing the offender Uh, so punishing the person but me being a victim What's important is not whether the person gets punished or not. I mean, yes, there will be cases where the person get, getting punishment gives me a lot of, you know, feeling better. But I think I'll feel much more better where that person, you know, acknowledges that, okay, I did this and, you know, tries to explain his story that, okay, I did this because of this. I felt this or, you know, I am... Acknowledging that okay, I could have been wrong here, but I wasn't. I didn't intend this or whatever. But basically, you know, once that will give me closure, irrespective of the offender being punished or not. If I have, I get that acknowledgement. It'll give me closure. So I think that's why acknowledgement and uh, apologies they, they can be kind of healing and can help sometimes. Yeah. Very
0: nice. I I can see that. And so you have. An idea for starting an online platform for conflict resolution. Can you share a little bit about that? Oh, sure.
2: So it's an on, it's an
1: it's a project that
0: um, I've
1: wanted to take off since long, but I think I mean the current situation of the pandemic has pushed us all online. Uh, you know, so I think that's why uh, dispute resolution as well. There's there's a lot of you know, growth in online dispute resolution. And so, yeah, I, I've always wanted, and, you know, like I said, my profile is all around dispute and conflict resolutions. Mm-hmm. So this is currently my ongoing project uh, where I'm trying to come up with an online dispute resolution portal. And let's see what opens what, uh, mm-hmm. with that. So I just take one step at a time. I don't yet have like a very big vision for it, but, yeah, that, that's my...
0: Do you have an idea of what type of conflicts, or would it be open to all types of conflicts? that I'm thinking, because your experience is so broad. Are you thinking like individual conflicts, um, business-to-business conflicts, or even community conflicts or international conflicts?
1: So my idea right now is not that I, I not that I will be resolving all the conflicts. I will, you know, I will provide a platform that will facilitate resolution through other. Uh, professionals or people mm-hmm. who can mediate mediators so I can in that capacity the long term vision can be all kinds of disputes be it community be it uh, family be it commercial be it international as well conflicts like you know situations of wars and all is, a, is slightly and I, I would say it's a very different ball game it's, it's more on the level of diplomacy and I don't think online uh, you can do that kind of work. I mean, you you do, but there's a lot of security and, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of issues involved. Uh, so, yeah, so that isn't yet my target. Although, yes, one day I would love to uh, be involved in international uh, conflict mediations, especially after having uh, gone through my international peace studies course. But yeah, currently my focus will be I'll, I'll start with a, a combination of commercial and community mediations. And uh, let's see. I'll experiment with one or two models, and
2: whichever uh,
0: works better, yeah. Continuing yeah. on with your experimentation and being open for the process and things to unfold—that's wonderful. Well, I wish you much continued success. That's
1: a message that I've learned from my own life. That um, uh, you know, when we really want to do something, and that something is not just for our personal interest, then we then we have to trust. And what usually happens is that our needs get taken care of. So I think most of the time people don't take, uh, you know, steps in the direction where they want to go because they are afraid that, you know, how will they make the ends meet? And yeah, in my journey also, I was in that situation where I I didn't know how how will I make my ends meet. But I think, uh, yeah, if if your intentions are pure, uh, then I think somewhere or the other they get met. So,
0: yeah. That is a beautiful message. I have found that for myself to be true as well. Um, so wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being part of Integrative Lawyers of the World. Um, I enjoyed speaking with you today. Thank you, Thank you so much for having me.